I've always been amazed by X-Men and all their different mutant talents, and, and Professor Xavier can get into the mind, and he can read minds, and he can, he can influence minds while he's in there and stuff. And I thought, you know, that would be a power I would not want to have, because I don't... You ever talk to somebody, and you're just like, what is going on inside there? You don't really want to know the answer to that. And in this movie, that's, that's what it's all kind of really about. And we're going to be doing kind of a series within a series here as we look at this, because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing our At The Movie series, but for the next five weeks, we're going to be focusing on this one movie, because there's, there's joy, there's sadness. We're going to be talking about sadness next week. As a matter of fact, we have a, a special guest coming in um, from Phoenix. I'm not sure if you guys remember, about two years ago, we were taking a, a real uh, look as a church and praying as a church for a little girl, well, not little, she was uh, 16, who had, uh, was in her second bout with cancer, and cancer eventually took her life. Um, her parents are going to be here next weekend, and it's going to be a good time. They're, they're here to share. They want to say thank you for praying, but they also want to share kind of their story and, and the emotions that went through all of that story. They'll probably touch on all five of these that we're going to talk about with joy and sadness and fear and disgust and anger and each one of those things, and so they're going to be here next week. We're also having some missionaries who we support through the church um, who are in the Ivory Coast. They work at uh, um, an international school for for different uh, kids, kids that are missionary kids, as well as kids in the area, and they're going to be here sharing next week. Crazy thing is, they both went to the same church, so they're going to kind of be reconnecting as well, so we're going to be doing that next week with it. So I want to encourage you to come back and be a part of that as we dive into this movie, because as I watched it, even when I heard about it, when it first came out, I said, man, this is, this is just so ingenious. Just to, to see what is going on inside this little girl's head. This movie's about a little girl named Riley. Her, she's 11 years old. I'm not going to give you the whole synopsis of it all. But she lived in Minnesota. And she had all the friends and all the things. And maybe some of you have experienced this where dad up and moves and goes to a completely different city, completely different culture from Minnesota to San Francisco. Everything's different. Everything's trying to figure out in the emotions. And you see the emotions that are playing out in her head. And all this stuff that's taking place, it, it just amazing. And as I watched it, and as I saw it, and I see these different emotions we're going to talk about, um, I, I want to really weigh in on some of the things they talk about. You know, the reason why he actually, uh, David Proctor's his name, uh, the reason why he actually wrote the movie is because his daughter, they had moved to California in the same type of thing, about the same age, and she had just a, a lot of emotions that were going on inside, and he could not figure it out. And so to make this movie, they actually pulled in like neuroscientists, and they pulled in all sorts of psychologists and things to show the emotions that go on. And so the movie, it, it's crazy. And today we're going to be focusing on joy. And joy is something that, while I like it in the movie, I think they, they miss it. I think they miss what joy actually is. Because as you lay out joy and as you see it, the question is, is, is what is joy? What, what is wrapped up in joy? If we look at the definition of joy that's found in, in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it says this, the emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune by the prospect of processing what one desires, or it's the expression or exhibition of such emotion. See, as I read that, I started to think, that sounds a lot like happiness. That sounds a lot like being happy. And I thought, is it possible that they think that joy and happiness are the same thing? So I looked up the word happy, and this is the definition that was in there. Feeling pleasure and enjoyment because of your life, your situation, etc. Showing or causing feelings of pleasure and enjoyment. Pleased or glad about a particular situation or event. Those two definitions almost sound interchangeable. 
So as we look at that, I have a question for you. It's a rhetorical question, but do you think that joy and happiness are interchangeable? Do you think they're the same word, same definition? Are they the same thing? And as you process that, I went to one more place to find a definition for joy. Actually, the Disney website. Because Disney explains why they created the character. This is the character definition of joy. Joy's goal has always been to make sure that Riley stays happy. She is lighthearted, optimistic, and determined to find the fun in every situation. Joy sees challenges in Riley's life as opportunities, and the less happy moments as hiccups on the way to back to something great. As long as Riley is happy, so is joy. So I look at that and I say, okay, so what are they trying to say? Same as a definition. As long as there's joy, there's happiness. As long as there's happiness, there's joy. Do they coexist all the time? And as I looked at that, I said, you know, that might be a base definition for it, but it's not the full thing. It's not everything because I don't believe that the two are interchangeable. So what I did is I Googled, what is joy? And in the process of Googling what is joy, a video came up, and it was from the Yale Divinity School. And the first question that Christy asked me, said, Yale has a divinity school? And I said, actually, actually they do. And apparently it's not a great one because their definitions of their video of what is joy was these right here. And I thought to myself, there is no way that happiness and joy have to go together. It's just not what could possibly be possible. There's got to be something more than that. Because when I read scripture and as I look at the Christian life and as I see people, even like the Wagners who are going to be here next week, that had joy when they weren't happy, how is that possible? How does that work together? How do we have joy when we're not happy? And that's what I think we need to do as we dive into this. To a Christian, we need to understand that happiness and joy are not interchangeable. I believe that, that they can be, but the world has lumped them together. As a matter of fact, they've even lumped one more into that. They've said, you know what? Not only joy and happiness, but also pleasure. Those three things can work all together, and they're always in, in, in harmony with one another. But this is where I see it with those three things. Pleasure pleases the body. It's about what's going to make me feel good about what I have. I'm going to go and get a massage. Yep, that's going to bring me pleasure. I'm going to go and watch a movie that makes me laugh. That's going to bring me pleasure. There's all these different things that, that we can use to buy stuff, to have stuff. That's pleasure. The second one is happiness. And happiness really deals with the mind and the feeling. So it goes a step beyond pleasure. Pleasure can bring happiness. Pleasure can bring happiness because we'll, we'll get those things and we'll smile for a little while. But then, like we talked about even on Sunday or uh, Friday morning during our, um, during our men's Bible study, that, that happiness has a tendency to be fleeting. We can look at something and be really excited about it for about six months. And then we want the next bigger, badder thing. And, and we, we need, we need, we need, because it needs to, that pleasure needs to be met to make us happy. But happiness then goes on to joy, and joy is even deeper than the mind and the feelings. Joy is the heart and the soul and the spirit. And as I looked these things up, and as I saw this, what is joy, a definition that came across my path as I was looking it up, and it was from Rick Warren. Rick Warren's a pastor at Saddleback Church, wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. This is what he put as he came down to it. And the funny thing is, is he explained how he got to it. He said, I'm not naturally a joyful person. I'm not one of those guys who gets up in the morning and is all peppy and all that. You know, normally I have to really struggle to have joy or to have happiness or find the good in a situation. I don't, I don't find myself that way. I kind of am on the opposite. I, 
I'm probably annoyingly happy sometimes. And people are like, how can you be happy right now? I'm like, well, better than being sad. So um, the, the whole thing that he had for a definition is this. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. You know what one word was missing from all that? Happy. I didn't see any happy feelings in all of that. I think we all know the reason why, because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is temporary. Joy, on the other hand, is a constant in our lives. Whether we choose to, to walk on that track or not is, is kind of up to us. I guess the best way to, to describe joy in our lives is joy is on one side, sorrow is on the other side, and it's two railroad tracks that are going parallel to each other, and whatever track we want to be on, depending upon the circumstance and how we react to it, that's where joy is and that's where sorrow is, and that's where our, our, our pain and our frustration, what track do you want to be on? And as I see that play out and I, I think about it, I think about a passage that ever since I was in high school, really became a life passage for me, a way to, to want to live my life when I need to be encouraged, when I need to, to remember why I do what I do, when I need to, to shake off somebody saying something to me that's negative, or if I need to shake off a negative situation, or whatever it might be, I go to the passage of, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First, sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 5, there, there's three verses in the middle of the passage that really stand out to me, but I want to read the surrounding ones around it and, and get the full process of what Paul is trying to say. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. And what I want to do is I want to read this, and I want you to just kind of take it in on what God could possibly be telling us about joy. And how it really is different than happiness. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 12, says this. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Here's the verses that always stand out to me. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Have you ever asked what God's will is for your life? There's your answer. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Go on from there, verse 19. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for the way that you demonstrate through your people joy and what joy really is. That it's more than just happiness. That it's more than just based on our circumstances, but it is so much more. God, speak to us today. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm not sure if you saw it or heard it, but those, those three verses right there in the passage, those three that I told you I, I like to hold on to, ones that, that I, I, I try and, and do as, as best I can, and I fail at them because it says this, Rejoice always. If you have an NLT version 
um, of, your, of your Bible, it says, be joyful always. And you think to yourself, how is that possible? Verse 17, pray without ceasing. How is that possible? I mean, how do we walk around and pray all the time and be in that spirit? And 18, give thanks in all circumstances. And I've pointed this out before, but I'll point it out again. It does not say for all circumstances. It says in all circumstances. So we don't give thanks for the circumstance we're in, but we do give thanks in the circumstance that we're in because that is where God is at and he is with us. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This passage and these verses are found in a letter written by a mentor to his mentees, by a, a spiritual father to his spiritual children. And he's trying to encourage them, and he's trying to encourage them in a way saying, as Christ has come into your life, you are beginning to change. Your life is beginning to change. The way you view circumstances is beginning to change. The way that you find what's important in life, what will make you happy, is beginning to change. And he's challenging them in this way of change. And if you notice on our logo, it is come as you are and be changed. And as we are changed, we start to realize this. We start to realize that we can give thanks in all circumstances, that we can rejoice always, even when things aren't going the way they are. You have to think, as he's writing this to these churches, the early church was not doing well amongst the community. They were harassed. They were tortured. They were beaten. They were, you know, put up on crosses just like Christ was. They were being torn down. So he's saying, hey, rejoice even in those circumstances. Always pray continually. Pray without ceasing right in the middle of all of that. And he says, this is what's going to start changing as you realize what you have and who you have it in. And that change comes with growth, growth. And as we're growing and all these things are taking place, you start to see that your heart begins to change. And we're growing as a, as a believer and a follower in Christ. We're changing to more what God wants us to be. And we begin to constantly demonstrate joy. And I'm not sure if you've ever been around that person. There, there are some people that I have known in my life that, that exemplified this passage more than anybody I've ever met. They're, they're people that were always happy. It didn't matter if their dog had just got run over by a car. They're like, oh, that's okay. I hope the car's all right. And you'd be like, what? Are you crazy? You know, you look at people like that. You could, you could punch them in the face and they say, is your hand okay? You know, th- that's, the, that's the kind of people they were. And you're like, how can you be like that? And, and that is what the change is supposed to be. And if we were to take that passage, I, I get, read you from 12 to 24, and then I read you 16 to 18, just taking two words out of that passage, those two words are so loaded with so much information for us to hold on to, and that is rejoice always. Rejoice always. Do you realize that the words joy and rejoice are loaded throughout Scripture describing believers? And you may say, well, what is rejoice and joy? Did you know the word rejoice actually comes from rejoy to joy over and over and over again? That is what rejoicing is, is to have joy over and over and over again. And this is what they use to describe Christian believers at this time. And we look at it, and you know, I don't throw out a whole lot of Greek at you. But I was looking at all the different words that had to do with, with joy. And, and there's hiero, which is, um, which is basically to, to be full of joy. There's kara, which is to be joyful. And then there's charis, which fills in with charismatic, to be full of the Spirit and to have joy with it. And we look at each one of these things, and we see that in this verse, to be full of joy, to be rejoicing, to be full of joy and moving forward. And then there's a word that's always in there. And I probably don't have to break down the word always in the Greek to tell you what always means. It means always. It means to constantly do it, to be in joy and rejoicing always, over and over and over again. 
Paul actually tells the Philippian church. Maybe you went to Bible camp when you were little, and they sang that song, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Remember that? And we'd all, hey, rejoice. And everybody, we do it in rounds, and we get all excited and be like, yeah. And, we, and then we walk away and be like, oh, that was dumb. You know, but, <laughs> but at the same time, we're, we're, we're supposed to be rejoicing always. And again, I say rejoice. Keep rejoicing. You know where Paul wrote that from? Prison. Who <laughs> writes that for prison? Rejoice always while I'm in chain. And we're not thinking prison like you got cable TV in a weight room. We're thinking like a hole in the ground with a candle that had like a door over the top of it. Every once in a while, you get to see the sun as it passed through one of the cracks in the wood. That was his rejoice always. How do we do that, though? How do we do it? Is it based on our happiness? Was he happy to be in prison? Was he telling people, as you're being beaten, be happy? Is that how we can inter- interchange those two words? I don't think so. See, happiness is an emotion based upon circumstances. When a baby's born, we're happy. We're also full of joy, but we're happy. When that baby starts to talk back to you, you're not quite as happy. You know, that happens. Those are the things that happen. We, we can't base our happiness, but we can base our joy on that. When we buy a house or a car, we're happy. We're even happier when we make the last payment on that house or that car. But in that process, you're not going to be happy all the time when the bill comes. It's not going to be, oh, right, the mortgage is here again. Yay. That, that's not our, our way about doing it. But how do we be joyful in that? How do we look at that circumstance and say, hey, at least I'm living in a place and I'm not on the street and I have a job to pay that bill and those kind of things like that. How do we change our mindset? How do we have that joy? How do we not base our happiness on circumstances? Because, you know, when we base it on circumstances, it really doesn't boil down to as long as things go our way and please us, then we're happy. As long as I'm in control of how things affect us. I read this thing um, on, I believe it's called The Four Loves by, by uh, C.S. Lewis. And he basically talked about the way to avoid having a broken heart is to not love at all. But then he says, if you don't love at all, then you become a hermit and you live in a cave basically by yourself. And I'm summarizing this very poorly. But the, uh, he, he says, you're going to live with, a, with a, a heart that's stone. It's not allowed to go. So instead of being broken, it's impenetrable. Which one would you rather have? And he says, we can't control the happiness, but we can control the way we respond in every situation. So, as we see somebody, whether they're happy or not, respond with joy, how do they do that? How do they respond in that situation? Because our joy isn't dependent on our circumstance. And we already sang about it. We already sang about these words. Because when we ask why not, it's because true joy is found in the eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. True joy is found in an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. We realize what we have because he is the one who saves. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of heaven, God of earth, because we realize who you are. We realize what you are and what you've done for us. Romans 5, 1 through 11, which is the first message I actually prepared for for today, um, is is a passage that I want to read to you. Um, This is what it says. Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in that hope. 
We know what's about to come. That's how we rejoice. Not only rejoice in the situation, but we realize at the end of the situation, God is still there. We still have a relationship with him. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice because we're saved. We rejoice because we have reconciliation with God. Every circumstance here on earth may not exactly exemplify that, but we can choose how we respond in that situation because we're saved. You know what that means? It means at the end of this miserable, pitiful life, no matter how good or how bad it is, there's so much better at the end of it. There's so much more that is out there, and that is found in the relationship with God. It is found in a relationship with Him through His Son. We've been reconciled. We find joy in our salvation. That's why we read Psalm 51 at the beginning. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Remind me that I have you. Remind me of that. Change my viewpoint. Because sometimes we can get so inward focused and say, oh, look at how bad my life is. And then we can just remember that my life really isn't that bad. I have Jesus. I have him. That's how James can write this in first, uh, James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, and let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It is growing us. We know what we have right now, and we even know so much more what we have later. You know, people that interchange joy and say, well, joy has to be with happiness. I, I, I want to point out in Hebrews chapter 12, when Jesus is being mentioned about going to the cross, do you know the words it says in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, for the what that was set before him, he endured the cross? The joy. Wait a second. The cross was the most brutal form of torture and death that a person could possibly go through at that point in time. And that was going to be joy? Why was it joy? Because he knew what the future held. He knew that we were going to be in relationship with his father because of what he was doing. And that brought him joy. Not the cross, but the fact that after the cross was done, after that pain and punishment that he took for us was done, we would have a restored relationship with his father. Joy. Where did it come from, though? Well, the first thing we know is that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, joy is a fruit that's born from the fact the Holy Spirit lives within us. He's a constant reminder that we are being changed. We're being changed the more who God wants us to be. And there's a ministry that takes place. and There's a, pro- a process that produces things that we can't do. 
You see, when the Spirit's inside of us and He's living through us and we're abiding in Him, we talked about that a few weeks ago, as we're abiding in Him, you have to understand, there are people I don't want to love, but the Spirit is producing its way through me. There's times that I don't want to have joy, but, but He's bearing fruit through me. Peace? Man, no way. Patience? Absolutely not. Don't even pray for it. Because then God's going to test you and you're going to lose. Because that's just the way it is. And, and we see kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things are things I fail miserably at. But when I'm abiding in Christ, it's amazing how much stronger the Spirit's fruit will go through me. And I can tell when I'm with Him and I can tell when I'm without Him. I can tell when I'm plugged in and I can tell when I'm not. Because my life will be a demonstration of those things. And we see this play out in this. So that's where the first set of joy comes from. People without Christ can't understand this joy because they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's when people say, how can you be happy in this circumstance? I'm not happy. I have joy because I know this is a temporary thing. And I know God is walking with me through it. And I know that even if I don't survive it, I'm going to be meeting Jesus on the other end. I know that. Something else we need to hold on to is joy is a choice that we make. That's why Paul gives us the command to rejoice always. It's a choice that we make. We have a choice. We can look at the negative. We can focus on the dissatisfaction. We can look at our lives and say, oh, man, my life is just so much. I wish it was. And we can throw all those kind of things into that. We can focus on circumstances. But God's desire is for us to focus on him. Because isn't that what it's really all about? Isn't it all about him? and not about us. As we focus on Him, it changes us, and it gives us strength. So that, that question that I, I asked up front is, what is joy? Here's another question I have for you. That is this. Why don't we rejoice always? Why don't we rejoice always? First, I think that we have a tendency to lack confidence in our salvation. We have a tendency to lack confidence in our salvation. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Because sometimes we, we have this tendency to, to forget that, that God has sent his son to die for us so that we can have a relationship with him that starts now and it grows and it lasts eternally. We have a tendency to forget that. And I think some people, man, I've walked in some churches and I've seen some people, they look like bulldogs that have just drank vinegar. I mean, they're just mean, angry, ugly-faced people. And they're just sitting there, and they're just, you know, I, sorry, just, I just saw you cross your arms, Rob, so I just, I had to uncross mine real fast. But, um, uh, you know, they're just the people that they don't want to hear. They don't want to be a part of that because, because they just have no joy. And, I, and either A, they have forgotten, or B, they never had it to begin with. I, I don't know. It's not my place to judge, but man, sometimes I just wonder, how can you not be happy when you're praising God on a Sunday morning? or on a Saturday night, or any time you come together with him, or with others, or anything like that. And we look at that, and we say, you know, it's not about, it's not about being happy. And sometimes people say, well, you know, the depression. What about people who are depressed? And I, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that the people who are depressed aren't saved. You know, because there's some serious medical conditions that go with that. There's some serious things that go inside the brain. But what I am saying is this, is that Happiness and joy aren't the same. And how we focus on our circumstances really determines on who we're focusing on. There's a lot of people in this world that have said a magic prayer and they've walked an aisle. Maybe they've even gotten baptized for a, for a physical reason. But it didn't turn out that they were doing it for anything other than that. 
If that's you, I challenge you even today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. That's where we give our lives to him and we follow him. Second thing I want to see is this. We may not rejoice because of an attack from the enemy. We may not attack, uh, rejoice because of an attack from the enemy. See, Satan isn't called our enemy or our adversary for any other reason than the fact that he's our enemy and our adversary. It's not just some heavy, powerful words that, that they wanted to throw into the Bible. They, they actually mean it. He is working against us. He is trying to rob us of our joy. He is trying to stunt our spiritual growth. He is trying to sideline us and take us away from the joy of the Lord and being a part of it. He wants to destroy our marriage. He wants to steal our children. He wants to wreck our life. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take you away from doing what God has called you to do. Even in the process of serving, how many people use the process uh, or, or use the excuse of not serving because they feel as if they can't do it or they're not worthy or whatever it might be that they'll use some sort of excuse and Satan's like, perfect, you bought the lie. You bought the lie. Hook, line, and sinker. See, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, Will him restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you? You have a hope. There's something at the end of this. Resist the devil. The third thing, as we say, stay alert, stay equipped, stay close to the Father, is this. We may not rejoice because of a heart of unbelief. We forget the truth. John 8.32 says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we forget the truth. We forget that God sent his son to die for us. Knowing the truth is one thing. Believing the truth is totally different. Knowing and believing. You know, see, there's times that even the strongest believers, our faith seems to get shaken. And it's when we're going through times that are grief and times of stress. And we begin to ask why. We go through these spiritual droughts and we walk away from God. We push God away and we lose our joy. And the answer uh, uh, in those dark times is, is to do what? Well, it's to have faith that, that God is who he says he is. Wasn't that what we said in that song? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus that we trust him at his word. That's all we have to do is trust him at his word. We sang it, we said it, that's, that's it, isn't it? To trust in Jesus because we can believe what he has to say, but we have this way of saying, you know what? He's not able to. We look at this world all over the place. We, we see the news, see the internet. Facebook's awesome about it posts all the doom and gloom of everything that's going on. Let me ask you a question. Do you still believe that God's in control? You better believe he is. Absolutely. Absolutely. The fourth thing, we may not rejoice because of our ignorance of truth. Some people, I don't think, believe because they don't understand biblical truth. We have a, a tendency within the church, and leadership is guilty first and foremost, of not bringing people along in a discipleship process. They're, they're born as new baby believers, and then we leave them there. We leave them there to suffer and try and struggle on their own. And, and we forget, we forget that they need to be brought along just like a baby would need to be brought along physically to, to be fed milk, and then that f milk turns into uh, 
smashed up Gerber stuff, and then that, that goes into being a little bit more solid and it has some flavor to it, and then it kind of grows from there. We see each one of those things take place. Well, guess what? We need to do the same thing with, with baby believers. We need to help them understand the milk, understand who Jesus is, and start to grow them from there. First John uh, 1, 1 through 4 actually says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to proclaim to the, you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you. They're bringing people along so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We forget that people need to understand, be brought along, need to, to really meet Jesus and grow in him so their joy can be made complete. So when they get into a situation, they can say, yes, I understand who God is. Fifth thing, an ungrateful spirit. We may not rejoice because we have an ungrateful spirit. I, I fall into this trap too often of not being content and I'm ungrateful, and I'm not satisfied. And the reason why I'm not satisfied is because I got this issue called pride. And it's all about me. And I want the next bigger. I want the next better. I want the next batter. Let me just tell you, uh, very soon, sooner every day, it seems like we're going to have too many kids for the car that we have. And in that process, it's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. But right now, I'm looking at vans, 15-passenger, 12-passenger vans uh, to paint seller's school bus on the side of or whatever, you know, paint it yellow. But we're looking at these, these big vans, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, okay, we can either A, pay cash and get one that's older, has higher mileage, and not all the cool stuff on it, or B, have a payment of something that is, man, pretty, pretty cool. It has all kinds of cool features on it. And I'm going back and forth, and I'm like, well, do they both serve the same purpose? Do they both seat 12 to 15 people and get them from A to B? Yes. Do they have all the cool features? No. Which should I go with? Features and payments or pay cash and just be satisfied? Well, satisfaction is it's underrated. Um, I, I really <laughs> I, I, I want stuff. I want the cool backup camera. I want the navigation unit. I want the whole thing. I want the individual seats that recline in the back. Because if you've ever read in a 15-passenger van, one of the old ones, the bench seats, they don't recline. You're like this the whole time. I'm like, no, but see, I don't want to be like this. I'm like, well, I'll be driving, so it doesn't really matter. But the, we, we weigh out the things, and we say, ah, oh, I'm just ungrateful. God, I forget about what you've given me. And even if we don't have anything else, guess what we have? Him. How amazing is that? That the God of all the universe has given us himself. The final thing that I want to look at is this, the unreal expectations. Unreal expectations. And I won't spend a lot of time here, but you know, I've heard it taught too many times that if we just serve the Lord, he will be obligated to make us healthy and wealthy and have all the stuff. That he'll provide that 15-passenger van. Well, Matt, you're a pastor. You should get that because God will provide because you're Oh, you know, whatever. I don't, I can't even pull out the inner Olstein in me. But the, the thing is, is that, the thing is, is that we, we look at things like that and, and uh, we teach that. We teach that, that God will shield us from any hardship as long as we, well, that's not true. 
We've already read verses that say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, when you face hardships. That hardship, it produces steadfastness or endurance, and that endurance produces hope, which goes back to what we have in the first place. It's hope. And we think that, oh, you know, we need to have all these expectations of what God is going to do. You know what? God will bless us. But he's also going to let us face hardships. John 16, says this, I have said these things to you that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's it. That's what it all boils down to. As we close today, I want to ask you, are we, are you, am I, maintaining a constant joy in our lives to rejoice always? And again, I say rejoice. To be constantly joyful, not happy, because not every situation deserves, deserves a happy response, but to be joyful and understand who God is and what he is doing. Because I don't believe this is any less command of a, in Scripture than any other words that we've read. The things that Jesus commanded us to do that we talked about just a few weeks ago, I don't think this is anything less. To rejoice always. To choose to be joyful today, regardless of our circumstances, let us rejoice always. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and, and what you do and what you've done. Too often, God, I, I forget. Too often... I, I get down on myself. Too often I beat myself up. Too often I get angry with other people who are letting me down. Too often I, I let my feelings dictate who you are and what you mean to me. But God, I know my feelings can lie to me. I know that I can feel a certain way when it's not really the truth because of the truth, as Jesus said, it'll, it'll set us free if we really hold on to it. It'll set us free from the bondage of, of what we feel. It'll set us free from the bondage of, of our unhappiness. It'll set us free when we are truly focusing on who your son Jesus is, what he's done for us as we abide in him and how he's changing us. God, we are so thankful that you, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, would care anything about us, but not only care about us, but want to have a relationship with us. And Lord, as we even look at this, even at four o'clock today, God, you know that I was struggling to be joyful about a message that I had to give on joy. But you changed me, and you worked on me, and you helped change my focus and my perspective to what it needed to be. And that's on you. God, as we sing this last song and, and, and really wrap up, God, I pray that we just focus on you, that these words aren't just empty words that are on a computer screen or on a TV screen, but God, they are words that focus on who you are and what you really mean to us. We pray it on your name. Amen. I'm going to sit down here in the front, and I would love to pray with you if you're struggling with something. If you're saying, you know, I just I can't grab hold of that idea of joy. You don't understand what my life is, what I've gone through, what I'm going through. You'd be surprised what I understand. And even if I don't fully understand it, I do understand who God is and what he's doing. So I would love to pray with you and encourage you through that as I sit down here and Jerome leads us in this last song.